Hey Swifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is The Swiftcast, coming up on this episode. A splendid chat with Zwift's troubleshooter-in-chief, Lindsay Ruppertz. Zwift exec Charlie Eisendorf floats the idea of pro-racing on the platform. And all the usual Zwift news, chat and gossip. And I'm delighted to welcome back the other two members of the regular trio. Nathan Gary, yo dude. Hey, how's it going, Simon? Pretty good with me, thank you. And Shane Miller, good day, mate. Good day, Simon. Good to be back with the uh, other side of the world delay we usually have on the uh, the podcast. Yeah, so I'll, I'll look forward to editing that one out, Shane, in, uh, <laughs> in, the, fullness, in the fullness of time. And, and as you say, we are back in our respective countries after the, um, the luxury of all being in the same place at the same time in the US of A last time we talked to the listeners. Shane, you had, I think, the longest journey home out of all of us, what, 15, 16 hours? Yeah, that was one flight, um, but I was was about an hour and a half or so from Vegas back to LA, 11-hour stopover, and then the flight, then home. But uh, I'm getting used to it. It's like an endurance ride. You sort of hydrate well, you eat well, you uh, stretch the legs. It's... Uh, uh, I guess being sort of, I guess, an athlete helps you cope with these kind of things. But yeah, it's a long time in one seat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it did cross my mind, actually, the physical cost of, of long haul travel as it applies to bike riders. I mean, I, I don't think many pro bike riders have to cope with too much long haul. Um, although, of course, the, you know, with, with so many of them being based in Europe, but... But with the tour of California, which is just about to begin, I expect a lot of them will have long journeys. They must build in recovery time from long haul travel, Shane, I would have thought, because it does take it out of you, even if you're as fit as a fiddle. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of them get in probably a week early. We see a lot of that over at the tour down under here in Australia as well, which is complete opposite seasons and times of the day for everyone. The pro riders are usually over almost two weeks before it even starts. So they're well acclimatized and well recovered from the flights. Yeah, I think acclimatization is the key word there, I think, and recovery as well. Um, Nathan, I mean, I, I guess a lot of Zwifters will be doing a bit of traveling, actually. Well, at least Northern Hemisphere Zwifters, or actually maybe Southern Hemisphere ones as well. But in the coming kind of um, summer months, a lot of people will be training for a big challenge, which might involve, a, you know, a journey. I, I know you're big on, on nutrition. Can that be a way of um, uh, defraying? the cost as it were of, of of travel like shane had gotten into it's all about time uh it's the speed of travel that usually takes its toll uh being unaware of when you're planning your travel how uh much you're going to be pushed by the limits of time that you put on it especially if it's going to start getting more expensive a lot of times athletes especially if they're not on a pro contract or something that helps with all of that will try and condense things down a lot so there's one less night in the hotel room they're trying to get back as quickly for work you know there's all these other different kinds of things that come into that time constraint and that's when you start picking up fast food that's when you don't take that extra time at the hotel to rest that's when you're pushing the flights from back to back. And so it's about taking and building in that extra time rather than making everything back to back so that you have the space to make the right choices while you're choosing the correct foods that are going to be available if you have the time to go find them. Yeah, I mean, that is absolutely excellent advice. And the thing is, Shane, if you think about it, you know, you spend, I don't know, three or four months busting your ass training for you know a huge event that is the focus of your year and then compromise all of it and 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 risk wasting all of that time by maybe just not taking a couple of days either side I think that's a really really good point that that Nathan's raised there yeah for sure absolutely it's one thing you can be so focused on an event itself that you forget everything else around that as well so a lot of the times you know you'll forget your shoes or your helmet going to the race or the big event because you're so focused on just the event you're out of your norm and yeah as nathan said it's all about the planning and yeah the the, the more boxes you can tick around that the better you'll go on race day yeah very true now this is actually a very good excuse to talk about something that's just come up as we record which is a really interesting looking partnership which has been announced 
um, between uh, Wahoo and Rafa, the luxury clothing peeps. Um, and it's interesting in a couple of ways because uh, um, apart from anything else, uh, Wahoo and Rafa are, are, are pretty close to Zwift. They are well-established partners with them. Um, but they, this partnership, Shane, seems to revolve around the Rafa clubhouses and the availability of kickers within those clubhouses. Now, I've, I've got a bit of a conspiracy theory on this, and we'll we'll get to that actually later on in the podcast when 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 we're going to talk about what 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 that subject and and I, I can I can tell you how I weave my devious conspiracy theory into that. But 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 I I think it's a bit of an odd partnership, isn't it? I mean. Kickers in the Rafa clubhouses, I, I can kind of see that, but it doesn't look very kind of on brand for Rafa to me, or am I am I being harsh? Yeah, look, it's a real interesting one. I think we're seeing a lot of the collaboration between a lot of different companies at these at this point in time. Everyone's doing their own thing really, really well. Now, my wife's a member of the Rafa Cycling Club, and she's travelled around the world and gone to the clubhouses and used their hire bikes. Um, so I see where that you know the the fill that Rafa does, I guess, in the marketplace for you know your higher end roadies, um, having the bikes available and things like that. But whenever I've gone to the Rafa clubhouse, it's about coffees and buying jerseys and things like that. Having an indoor cycling thing there, I'm not. That was kind of weird because it's sort of everything Rafa is isn't. Rafa, the, the way I see the marketing, it's outdoors, it's riding in the rain on the gravel, it's the big open spaces. The kicker goes into a different space to that. However, having said that, it's not all about the kickers. Um, Wahoo make a really, really good uh, heart rate strap. I know that much. And the head units aren't too bad either. So I think it's more of a, a holistic approach to a cycling solution um, where a few different companies have come together um, to fill different gaps. But yeah, I mean, any, more kickers, better. I'm, I'm happy with that. <laughs> I love mine. So yeah, interesting. I suppose the interesting thing for me is that indoor cycling now is seen as a default part of the complete package for a cyclist, you know, whereas whereas before it might not have been. I mean, yeah, if you travel abroad and pay the, um, shall we say, handsome fees involved with being a Rafa club member, um, it's great to have a higher bike. But two or three years ago, Nathan, we wouldn't have expected a indoor smart trainer to be part of the complete package for the travelling cyclist, I don't think, would we, unless you were pro. So what's up with the club? And those parties look pretty cool that they have at their clubs when they use those Wahoo kickers. So that might be something that's being tapped into, maybe, I don't know. The uh, parties that uh, Zwift threw with KOM challenges at Rafa seemed very, very attractive. And there might be something going on there. Well, well, I, I, I think you've rumbled my conspiracy theory, Nathan, which is that actually that this is, this is another toe being dipped in the water of events uh, based around esports and competitive Zwifting. I mean, maybe that's Rafa's game. You know, they're all about social uh, and they've got premises and now they've got indoor trainers and local athletes and they just need a few screens and a bit of Zwift and hey-ho. Well, look, I'll, I'll, I'll throw in Canyon SRAM there as well. So Canyon SRAM, sponsored by Rafa. Now, they're linked with Zwift. We've got uh, Leah out there riding the Pro Peloton now. So it's all very, yeah, the mixing bowl is having quite a few things thrown in it, isn't it? It is. It is. Interesting. One to watch. And, you know, finally on this subject, Shane, the upcoming tour of Australia and New Zealand. Who are the partners there? Well, it's Wahoo, Rafa and uh, Canyon. So, yeah, interesting one to watch. Interesting one to watch. OK, let's crack on and um, and focus in on All Matters Swift. And we'll just spend a little bit of time, I think... Uh, with some analysis of the John Mayfield conversation, which dominated um, the entire last episode of the podcast, but I thought was was worth the time devoted to it. Um, I want to start, fellas, with something that, that, just an overall point, actually, that I found quite reassuring. And I got the really, really strong impression from John talking to him both on mic and off mic that... Zwift is never going to lose its focus on cycling and that the other sports on the platform, which may come in the fullness of time, I mean, running is kind of up there. John kind of said rowing was going to be next. 
we do, and we do know that Zwift probably wants to be a more of a broad fitness company. And I think some of us have been concerned in the backs of our minds that they might deprioritize cycling or spend too much time on developing other sports. I got the really, really, really strong impression that that will never happen. Uh, I don't know what you think, Shane. Whether whether that's me looking for reassurance and finding it in in a selective way, or or did you get that that feeling from John too? Yeah, for the moment we do because that's where they started. So that's but it's going to be up to the market. Um, they're a business at the end of the day, and if everyone starts playing, say, lawn bowls or archery, and that's the next big thing, and that's where the money is. So we have to wait. So I guess it's up to us as subscribers to continue on. Um, everybody out there in the northern hemisphere, keep your subscriptions because it helps um, and uh, being part of it. So look, I hope it's all cycling because that's my sport that I choose, and I think it's the same for the both of you guys as well, and probably almost all of the listeners. So that's my feeling, though, but you never know. It's business. Anything can happen. Yep. Could be lawn bowls. Um, Nathan, <laughs> Nathan the, the other fascinating thing for me was John's super detailed explanation of why he can't go as fast as sometimes he or or we would like when it you know when it comes down to developing the game. Although, you know, I think he did say he understood our point when we were very grumpy a few podcasts ago, but didn't fully agree with it. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying here that John believes he's not going as fast as we would like him to, but but he recognises it as a legitimate question, and he offered an answer which was that he basically can't recruit the game's programmers he needs. I, I, was that surprising to you, Nathan? Um, I guess from the outside looking in, maybe somebody on the surface looking for a job, they see Zwift and they're, they're, they're combing. You know what I mean? They're not, they're not at that moment in time when they're putting out their um, prospects they're saying, I got this, 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 and they make a list of who they're going to go after. And that's a training tool. It's not, they see, they see something that's not a game, right? The reason it's surprising to me, I think, and my misunderstanding is that the first time I saw Zwift, I saw a game, my first introduction to it. And most people in the gaming world who are going into that haven't even seen Zwift. I think I, th- I have a feeling that they, that like, they're out there looking for a job and they haven't really interacted with it a whole lot in a way that would give them an idea. And it, it, it was uh, telling though, that the second they're in the door and John shows them what they're up to, they're sold. Yeah. Yeah. But man, that is a competitive world, isn't it? I mean, John was telling me some of the figures involved that people had been given as kind of counter offers when he thought he'd got them through the door. And um, as they say, you could have knocked me down with a feather. I mean, Kids, top tip, do listen when computer science comes around in school. I mean, you can make big, big money in computer games, Shane, by um, by some of the figures I heard. I don't know whether John has shared any of those with you um, and, and, and your IT background. I mean, it's a fiercely competitive area for talent, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just look at the profits, um, you know, the operating profits of things like Grand Theft Auto. Um, they're up in the thousands and millions and billions almost, I guess. Um, they're bigger than some of the big blockbuster movies. So if you think of, you know, what people in Hollywood make, it's the same behind the scenes for these uh, these coders, for sure. Uh, Shane, the explanation John gave on why no sharing of a roadmap or talking too much about what's planned for the future, did he make sense to you on that? Yeah, it does, especially if you've got a field of only just five developers. One of the references there John made is um, he didn't want to say anything about new features because he doesn't want to become Half-Life 3. Now, the reference there is that Half-Life 3 has been coming out forever. It's going to be coming out. It's one of those games that just prolonged and prolonged and prolonged. Well, I'll go back to Duke Nukem Forever. Nathan, that was 14 years, I think, before that actually came out, and the game sucked. We're all waiting for it for 14 years, so... That's where they don't want to be, but that can't be a hindrance for them going forward. They can't worry about what may happen because if they're worried about, oh, we don't want to become Duke Nukem forever, we don't want to become Half-Life 3, stop worrying, keep doing, start doing, start hiring. Um, we've heard the issues with hiring this talent, but they're almost already there with you know Apple TV. Where's that? The voice, where's that? And steering, it's there. It's there. I fell off my chair when I found out steering was there. Now, can we turn it on? Or do we become Duke Nukem forever when it comes? So, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the other interesting, just very practical aspect that I found very uh, illuminating when John explained it was as soon as they start talking about new features, um, uh, as he said, and I, I, I could feel the, the kind of energy draining out of him when he said this sentence, email volumes go up. You know, in other words, like everybody is going straight to Swift and saying, when is this happening? When is this happening? As well as posting on Facebook and asking the question on Twitter and, you know, all of that stuff. And and I guess as a company, Nathan, you know, they can't afford to ignore emails, can they? I mean, it just makes them look unfriendly and not nice. So, so, so just that expectation as well as an expectation of quality, there's just dealing with the... The, the, the things that expectation produces, which is more people getting in touch with the company, which is basically a kind of waste of time when you have to deal with that stuff. There might be a way to deal with that with creating a forum space, perhaps, that um, like here's, okay, so I'm going to use Overwatch right now or Blizzard games. Blizzard games will tease about two weeks out and they'll create a really large patch every like three or four months, maybe even even sooner than that if it's seasonal. And then it'll be like, wham, like all of this new content will come. It won't get trickled out, right? It'll be like, and it'll be stuff that like is big and shiny as well as like little bug fixes and all this different kind of stuff. But they'll tease it out about two weeks out for sure and everybody will get really hyped about it. And then if you want to go talk about when it's going to happen and all this stuff, there's like an actual forum space for it that there that that is like the Blizzard forum space for Overwatch or Hearthstone or all this different kind of stuff. And somebody has to go log in and it's actual place where you can go and chat about all that. I think, um, I think there may be a big project underway to to look at the Zwift website, but I can say no more than that. Um, well, look, let's just finish this section off with a bit of insight for the listeners. And we will come back, actually, to some of the more specific things that, that, that John said during that interview uh, to put them through our analysis process. Um, uh, but we'll just finish this section off with a bit of insight for the listeners on, on Zwift HQ. I mean, that I've finally made it. <laughs> it's been a long time coming, but now all three of us have been to Long Beach. I mean, I was so struck, Shane. That is a seriously cool place to work. Yeah, it's a very nice office. It's a nice open space. And it's uh, if you see somebody ride past the office door that you may be sitting in on a bike, uh, don't be too scared. They actually, a few of them scoot up and down, uh, but they all love the bike. Um, And as we've been hearing in the interviews as well, it sounds like they really love working there as well, which comes through um, on their social media. So very nice place. Yeah, Nathan, you, 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 I know you've been several times. It's, it's, it's 19th floor, you know, panoramic views. And actually, it's really interesting for those of us who remember Jarvis Island. There's quite a lot of features in Long Beach that looked a bit like the features on Jarvis Island, actually, when you look out the Zwift office window. That was one of the first things that was described to me is that there's some buildings that are actually in the in in the location that we're we're at there that we can see outside the window that are also in Zwift. That was kind of cool, I, I thought. But then also um Definitely, like Shane was saying, really open, but at the same time, everybody had a well-organized space to which each department was working with each other. Definitely cyclists work here. Um, and so, uh, you know, a well-stocked fridge, uh, a place to shower and do your laundry and jump on Zwift, as well as test Zwift. I mean, there's people testing Zwift everywhere. There was just, there was bikes literally like everywhere <laughs> that you went in the, in the offices, which was really, really cool to see. Uh, I was super impressed and everybody was happy and cheerful everywhere that, uh, that you went. So that was kind of cool actually. Yeah. yeah. It, it does sound like some kind of Nirvana, doesn't it actually? But when the thing, the thing is for those of us who come from gray, wet countries, really actually, you know, if you've got a space like that and you look, you can look outside and see the blue sky, you know, like 360 days a year, it, it does feel kind of utopian, actually. But um, one of the people who's lucky enough to work in that space is Lindsay Ruppert. Now, Lindsay might be a familiar name to some Zwifters because she's kind of a troubleshooter. She cruises the Facebook groups looking for people with tech problems and she helps to fix them. Um, There's going to be a regular feature coming up um, in the Zwiftcast based on interviews with backroom staff. People have asked to hear this and, and actually I was... Uh, I, I was a bit cautious about it, but I haven't done, done all the interviews now. I think this is going to make a really interesting feature. Um, we've got Lindsay coming up in a moment. I spoke to the guy who is in charge of the draft 
for Zwift. And like, I, <laughs> I, you know, it was scheduled to be about a 15 minute interview. I think I kept him for about an hour because it was like, you are going to answer all my questions about the draft. And it was <laughs> like, you're the man. Um, so I hope some of that stuff is going to edit down into, into a really interesting listen. And here's the first one with Lindsay. So, Lindsay, describe your typical day. I typically come in, check the Facebook group, see if any new crazy issues have been reported overnight, dig into customer support tickets, and start trying to break our latest version of the game. Very good at that part. (laughs) (laughs) Is it fair, then, to say that you're kind of Zwift HQ's chief troubleshooter? You know, I, I think that's actually a little fair, mostly because I have a reputation for being Murphy's Law. As soon as I touch something, if there's a problem in it, it's going to occur. Do you know more about Zwift than anybody else in the Western (laughs) universe, in the known world? No. Um, John and Alex probably have me beat. But not by much, I wouldn't have thought. Um, Mostly where they have me beat is because they're actual programmers and I'm just starting to edge into learning coding. 90 five percent of the time I'm right. That's not a bad hit, right? No, it's not at all. Um, John has made jokes about marking on calendars when I'm wrong because it happens so infrequently. (laughs) (laughs) That must make you a highly valued employee. What what did you, what's your background? What did you do before this? Uh, Before I got into video games, I lived in Wyoming and I did anything I could get my hands on. Um, I've been in video games for going on 15 years since I moved out to SoCal. So a video game background, have you always been, uh, have become recently, uh, what's your history in cycling? Uh, I had a BMX bike when I was a kid that I rode on my parents' farm. And aside from that, I hadn't been on a bike since I was a teenager. So right now my experience is Zwift and I've gotten out on actual roads a couple of times and have managed to not kill myself yet which I'm taking as a good thing and one of the things that people if they recognize you and if they've had any dealings with you is that you approach things in a very humorous and quite (laughs) interesting way in your interactions with Swifters do you have to be very careful with how you deal with subscribers or is or are we seeing Lindsay as she would talk to her friends um it Depends on which groups you're talking about, I suppose. (laughs) Especially in a group like Zwift Riders, I try to keep things very simple and friendly because I know we get a lot of our new users find themselves into that group. And unlike some of the beta users who have been around for a very long time, and I can joke a little bit with them, the new users we want to make sure are being taken care of and getting the best experience they can. And some of the... uh, Older groups, things like the racing groups where people are a little more experienced, I'll I'll joke at people when they make silly mistakes. But I've made my share of, I forgot to change my prefs file back to the correct world, so I missed my event kind of stuff myself. It's very understandable. What's the weirdest thing you've ever dealt with? In the game, I think were our donuts and the ET bugs. We still occasionally see players flying up above the course, just out in the middle of nowhere. And I have no idea why that's happening. <laughs> and and that, that is just truly random. It yeah. just, uh, are those kind of things literally impossible to duplicate and therefore trace? Um, not literally impossible. What we generally do, and this is one of the ways we fix the uh, donating bug, where people would just start spinning in circles and could never break free. Uh, we start adding uh, logging into the game. So that when it happens to someone out in the community, we can get more comprehensive data from their game log specifically that otherwise we wouldn't be able to get without actually having it happen on Deaf Machine. I've seen you occasionally even go looking for trouble. (laughs) So I've seen people post with a particular problem and then bang, in comes Lindsay saying you need to tell me more. I mean, that's a fairly high level of dedication to duty. If I see someone has a problem that I know is either an easy fix or is very unusual, I tend to try and get right on those things. You don't have to name names here, (laughs) but is there one uh, customer or subscriber perhaps who you've dealt with who has made you want to come back and live in Wyoming? Are you trying to get me to say Shane's name here? Because that's just not fair. Um, you know, we've had a couple of um, 
I don't want to say trouble customers, but customers with troubles who get very frustrated. But generally, most of our customers, even if they're frustrated in the moment, by the time we resolve the issue, they've uh, softened up and become more understanding. Um, our community is really fantastic like that. Well, I think I think you are very understanding, and 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 certainly I've seen you in action, and just just observed from afar where you've you've brought somebody down, and then looking beyond their fury and rage, <laughs> and, and, and and managed to get 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 things fixed for them. And that actually must be pretty rewarding. Uh, it's nice. It kind of comes naturally to me because I grew up with nine siblings, so I'm really good at de-escalating situations. <laughs> I was always the mediator. I think it, it helps with our image as well because people know we're in the forums and we're keeping an eye out on things, and it gives them a good feeling about us as a company because we care about our community and the product, not just profits or uh you know, kind of stuff. Corporate stuff. Yeah. What really gets your goat? Sometimes we'll be working to get a release and we're on a deadline and we're already several days past the deadline and people know that a release is on the horizon. So the community is really, you know, when is this expansion coming? Coming, And we're trying our hardest, but it's we never delay development for reasons that aren't important. So when we have a build that's got a ton of bugs in it and it's our fifth build that day and we're three days behind schedule that can be really uh hard to deal with it's not just qa staying late we've got the developers we're all at the computer trying to figure out what's causing the issue and get it resolved as quickly as possible as a team so that helps a lot do you like working here i love working here <laughs> i've of all the video game companies i've worked for this one's the absolute best hands down and it's not one thing it's the environment is great the culture is great i am healthier than i've ever been in a other video game job you know and it's it's just amazing uh nathan she's a bit of a star isn't she lindsay she was just as entertaining in the flesh as she is uh on the groups um she's just great yeah definitely and as you said she whips around the facebook well i also noticed she definitely like whips around the office as well she's definitely the same person that you find in the facebook groups is like very obviously this is lindsay when you meet her i thought it was so funny shane that the, the, the ideal training for lindsay dealing with swifters with tech problems was being brought up on a farm in wyoming with nine siblings <laughs> yeah for sure and uh, did you say she was chief troubleshooter or troublemaker did i hear my name mentioned in that <laughs> i did i did hear your name taken in vain yeah i did i did <laughs> right on nathan you mentioned this earlier we, we, we are now getting to the time of the year when people are starting to kind of, uh, and this comes up in the, in the groups from time to time, you know, deactivating accounts in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, there was a kind of interesting reaction to some guy who posted and said, how do I do this? And, and people came in and said, well, you know, maybe think twice before you do. OK, you're going to be using it less. Um, but, you know, you might want to keep it on just in case on certain days the weather's a bit horrid. And, and, and interestingly, as, as, as you said, people did come on and say they wanted to see the, 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 the platform supported continuously through the summer. I mean, do you think people will be altruistic with their 10 bucks a month or is in the end 10 bucks is 10 bucks that's the benefit of subscription-based products is that a lot of times going ahead and counseling them is um you know half the battle i also think there's just a basic reality that there as you were saying earlier in the program that the landscape of what it means to be a cyclist is changing this isn't just a training tool it's a way of cycling that people are starting to experience more and more and more uh as that continues to grow people just are like why would i get rid of this it's a way that i cycle when it's not nice outside or i don't have time or they, they're seeing it as whoa this is an actual resource i use on a daily basis regardless of the weather yeah absolutely right um shane as is so often the case it's it's opposite <laughs> opposite for you and of course you're just coming into into your prime swift season um uh, i mean a piece popped up on cnn there's also a very good piece in the wall street journal actually i i, I do think uh, swift again a lot of high quality press at the moment but the the, the cnn thing had a figure of one hundred twenty thousand 
active subscriptions. Now, there was no source on that, but one has to have an assumption that that figure may have come from Zwift because obviously there was lots of other material that came from Zwift. And it kind of, it, you know, it's on a trajectory that we recognise. The last time Zwift said anything officially, that it was in the Tech Crunch piece and that was 80,000 and that was at the beginning of the Northern Hemisphere winter, which is a very long-winded way of, of, of saying that I think that 120,000 figure, actually, I think it's probably a little bit higher than that. But, but, but you know... Um, they're heading in the right direction. There is absolutely no doubt about that on subscriptions. So do you think Australia, you know, do you think it's still early adopter territory? Are you, do you expect to see a really big upsurge in subscriptions this year? Or do you think that Zwift has kind of already done the awareness job in, in Australia? Is, is, is there space to grow in Australia yet? Look, for sure. Um, I'll base my reply on the the numbers we saw at the first Swift event uh, two years ago now. We had, I mean, we had quite a lot of interest. It was new. It was brand new. Um, I guess only the beta users were there knowing what it was all about, but it pulled in the crowds. The year later, um, this time last year, it was twice or three times as big. Those events were huge. Everyone knew about it. And then this year, they're coming back in a couple of weeks, and there's a lot of talk about it, and there's everyone's knowing it. So it's sort of – it grows um, exponentially. It's it, One person knows about it, their 10 friends will know about it. Their 10 friends know about it, then 100 people. It's just – crazy the amount of people um i own four kickers i now currently have one kicker here because everyone wants to grab one and borrow it and see what it's all about um even train up for the zwift events that are coming to town there's a ton of hype here so look the going back to the numbers in the cnn article are look as long as it's sustainable growth that's what businesses look at at the moment so that's a good thing to see and no doubt from the australian point of view there's some pretty good growth happening. I mean, based on the numbers we're seeing in the current rides, it started raining here last week in Melbourne and my feed just lit up with everyone that I know on Zwift and a lot of more people joining on as well. So now it's happy days here. It's looking really good, except the weather outside. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Zwift, Zwift people love bad weather. They love bad weather. I mean, there's an interesting new race series focused on Australia and the Southern Hemisphere. And and, and this, this race series is kind of heavily promoted by and obviously heavily endorsed by Zwift, which I think is kind of interesting. This is the eCrit series. Here's Charlie Eisendorf, who is the events dude at Zwift, to explain uh, what the eCrit series is and what, what the thinking behind it is. Welcome to the Zwiftcast to Charlie Eisendorf, who will be a familiar name to Zwifters, particularly if they take part in any of the many events on Zwift. One of those was the Grand Fondo, which was a roaring success. Um, huge numbers of people. Did that take you by surprise, Charlie? Because it was a challenging course. Yes, it took us by surprise um, in terms of how many people participated. No, it didn't take us by surprise in terms of the pop, what we thought the popularity would be. I mean, the, the course, like you said, is challenging, um, but I think uh, that was part of the allure of the uh, the first eFondo that we had, the Maratona eFondo. Fired by the success of that, you're about to launch a series, I believe. Tell us a bit more. So we're launching the, the first uh, Zwift eFondo series. Uh, we're targeting uh, Australia, so all the events will start... Um, at 9 a.m. Sydney time, uh, and there'll be one each month starting in May. And this is a, a precursor to uh, a larger picture Zwift eFondo series that we'll have going through next winter um, in the Northern Hemisphere. Sounds like a good plan, Charlie. A another good plan, I think, was this partnership with the, with the Maratona do del Dolomites, which is a really, really tough ride in real life. I've, I've done it, and it's, uh, it's hard work. But, but the partnership with these big names in, in outdoor riding, is, is that a pattern that's going to continue? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, the, the challenge with, with working with real-world Ifando organizers is that the conversation always starts the same way when we work with a, a, an organizer. And the first question they have is, can you build our course? Um, and, and obviously, we, we just can't do that. Uh, to, to replicate you know, the 100-mile the uh, Maratona course is, is just not possible. What we can do is that we, we can use the Watopia Pretzel, which is, let's face it, not a, a very widely used course just because it's, it's, it's epic in a lot of ways. You've got to commit to riding you know, upwards of three hours at once. So we can offer this course and we can we can definitely uh, skin it to look like Maratona. And by that, I mean, we could put up Maratona 
arches. We can have everybody in the Maratona kit. Um, and speaking of the Maratona kit, what was nice about the first one we did was that you could actually unlock the jersey permanently. So I, I think that was also a nice selling point. I mean, the other big development I think that it's interesting to talk about is the eCrit series. For those that don't know about that, that's a whole series of, of, of crit races, online crit races, obviously in Zwift, and it's going to culminate in a, a, a in a real life event. It's going to be in a real place, and the winners of the regional events are going to be head to head in the flesh on Zwift. Uh, validated and measured and weighed and uh, on the same trainer and all that kind of stuff. What's the thinking behind that, Charlie? With uh, the Aussies heading into their winter, uh, we thought having a dedicated um, race series specific for them uh, would be a good idea. However, we wanted to add a, a very special element to it, and, and that's like you said, the, the e-race live final. Um, you know, there's, there's always some um, challenges we have with racing. And one of the challenges, uh, the biggest challenge, is that people can manipulate their performance. So um, while we want to crown an e-crit champion, we realize that the only way we can really crown this person, the, the winner, as the official e-crit champion is to have a live race-off. So we can um, weigh the person and we can validate the, the performance um, you know, in the flesh, if you will. Sure. Now, this Charlie, it would be very easy to get confused with uh, with a certain um, with a certain thing that is being talked about increasingly around Swift, which is esports. Is is this is this Swift running a, an esport flag up up the pole? It's you know, it's a, it's a good question, Simon. Um, we don't have any official plans to launch uh, e racing. Um, with this event, the, this e-crit finals, I mean, e-racing e is definitely something that we're, we're looking at um, and uh, we've discussed it. Uh, I think this will be a good test for us to just see, you know, how, how we can produce an e-racing event ourselves. Um, and, and also, like I said, to, to validate the champion. So I, I'd say uh, the answer to the question is we're, we're, we're testing the waters with, with this one. You're a racer, Charlie. You're a racer through and through. You've raced all your life. You come from racing heritage and racing stock. Let, let me just ask you the direct question. Can eSports work on Zwift? I, I think so, I, but I think it has to be the, the right audience. I, I think it has to um, it has to be attractive to the... Um, to the general public, meaning that if we had, for example, 10 world tour pros, you know, the, the, the top pros in the world racing against each other in, in a live venue, I, I think people would, would love that. I think people would pay for that. I think people would, would want to watch it. I, I know myself, I would, I would love to see, you know, some of the biggest names in pro cycling, you know, sweating it out live um, and you could be inches away from them and, and looking at their performance, looking at their watts. So I, I think I think there's definitely um, a way that esports can work. It's just a question of can you get the right pros to take part. Um, I, I think that's the key. I, I don't know if e racing will work if it's just uh, at the amateur level. Interesting, uh, Charlie. If anybody could get the right pros to take part, that anybody might just be a company based in Long Beach, California. <laughs> yeah, I mean we definitely have the connections. Um, and, uh, you know, it's no secret that so many pros use Zwift right now. So I, I think it's uh, worth a conversation with these teams. There are definitely interesting race organizers that are looking beyond the traditional stage race, one-day classic format. Uh, so I, I think Zwift is, is interesting to them. Uh, and, and I think that perhaps that's the, that's the, right, um, the right partnership that, that would embrace e-racing. E um, but it's still very, very early days, um, and uh, I think this live e-race final will, will be a good test for us, and maybe it's something that we can actually show uh, other organizers, but um, only time will tell. Uh, Shane, an interesting series this. I mean, the Grand Fondo series is going to be great for Australians. Um, um, well, anybody who wants to join in, but obviously it's very Australian-focused, and, and that marathon event was incredibly successful, so they're going to be wor worth watching with, with, with interest. But the... I guess the crit series interests me a little bit more just because of what it might say or might not say about Zwift's attitude to racing, um, which is something we spend a lot of time talking about on the podcast and looking at the figures that John gave me. I wonder whether we're, we're banging on the wrong drum there, actually, because it's apparently only interests 10% of Zwifters. But I've, I've, got, I've got my views about that. Um, 
Um, but anyway, getting back to my point, uh, the eCrit series is going to culminate in a basically a live final. So the winner of the regional winners of the regional events will be head to head, real life, validated racing you can believe in uh, on kickers on a big screen in front of a live audience. Sound familiar at all to a certain event in Las Vegas? Yeah, absolutely. But the the biggest challenge they're going to find there is to, I guess, if you're going to fly someone somewhere, how do you really validate? Is there going to be local validation just to be sure? Because the flights cost a little bit. And as we saw with Vegas, it costs a bit to put one of these events on. You don't want to have some superstar coming along and then being dropped because they're a degrader on a certified equipment. So there's a few things, I guess, there, but this is just, I guess, the technology in general that we have to uh, to work out. But look, come September when the live event's on, I can't wait to find out where it is. And I'll be, if I'm, if I'm not there with enough points or I haven't ridden enough, um, I'll be definitely there in person to have a look at what's going on and be part of it all. Nathan, is this Swift doing esports or testing the water or, you know, putting their finger in the air and seeing which way the wind's blowing or... What is this? Or is it just the logical culmination of, uh, you know, a a race series? I think uh, there's a little bit of, like you said, putting their finger in the air there, definitely. Um, But I think they've already done this before. They called it ZA and they used workouts. Um, So the qualification process, I suspect, will probably be a little bit similar except for that it's going to be a race situation right and then figuring out who these people are and what's going on with them really and then uh there's going to be some sort of a selection somehow you know and so i think the qualification process has a lot of time to it like shane said 40 races like there's a lot of time to work with here to figure out who's who amongst this crowd and then put them up against each other over and over and over again and watch the cream rise to the crop the, uh, the cream of the crop rise to the top and then at the same time figure out what the uh i don't know the ones that got some bugs in the crop <laughs> i guess i'll say <laughs> maybe you know okay we got to get weeded out here here and there to figure out what's real and what's not real yeah definitely throw in uh i think a little bit of a hat into the ring here as far as some sort of uh racing you know first time really getting behind uh the virtual aspect of putting on their own thing for sure one to watch i mean they've not announced details of the final yet so there's nothing for us really to to speculate about but it could be a could be a pointer and and let, let's use that to 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 launch a, a bit of a chat about what john mayfield did have to say about racing i mean let's let's first of all let's look at the things that we definitely know are coming i mean real time race placings uh, Nathan, that is going to be such a good feature. So if you're in a race, which is a group event, what I'm guessing here is that, you know, there will be in brackets next to your name, your real time position within that group. To just have it directly there in game showing us um, is really great for uh, the events for broadcasting, for giving information to the user, though. So not just from my broadcasting standpoint, but for the user to have an understanding of like not just the 16 riders around them, you know, like but actually being able to see where they are out on course and have more of a relationship about what's closable, what's not closable. And uh, it just enhances the whole experience of any kind of event that you're a part of. So definitely cool for the user. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it's that one number that at a glance lets you know exactly what's going on. You know, I am lying third. It, and, you know, it's uh, up to press. It's actually been very, very difficult to be sure of that, uh, you know. Uh, so I, I think that will be transformative. And, and given what John said about racing, Shane, that only 5 to 8% of Swifters race... Um, I mean, he's got access to a whole load of data, way, 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 way more than we can ever guess or speculate at. So, you know, you've got to you've got to assume that that figure is correct. And at the top end, eight percent would give us uh, using the one hundred twenty thousand figure would give us about ten thousand people who race, which roughly matches with um uh what uh the cyclogen virtual ranking says and i think he's probably close to to to, to what Swift power would say as well so eight percent of the user base racing i mean i guess shane my point is and and you know maths is so not my strong point i am verging on the innumerate but 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 is that the same eight percent you know my my point being if you if you look at swift right and there's 700 riders on 
you know, at first glance you think, okay, it's the same 700 riders, but of course it's not, is it? There are people coming on and dropping out continuously. Could it could it be the same with racing? That, you know, 8% of the user-based racers, but it may not be the same 8%, therefore lots and lots and lots and lots of people beyond that 8% have actually tried racing. Um, you know, I don't know. What or I'll, uh, Is this my innumeracy shining through here? Look, it really depends on how they define what a race or a racer actually is. Is it somebody who enters an event and then rolls out because for me, racing is A grade, B grade, C grade, it's on. But I do a lot of events, which is the Australian Hump Day ride, the performance ride. Even yesterday, I was testing three power meters. There was a ride on in 90 seconds starting. I scrambled and got everything calibrated, and I joined the guys for a group of, for a group ride. I'm not sure if that classes me as a racer at the time. So it really depends how they define that. I, I, I Absolutely. I think Perhaps not. And I think we might be using the wrong word here. I think we should perhaps be using the word competitive Swifter. So, you know, you join a, you, 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 you join a group ride and, and you think, OK, I'll do the last lap thrash, which turns into a race. But you're not actually classified as a racer, but you're certainly a competitive Swifter. And, and I think, you know, the competitive Swifter is a much bigger figure than 8%. So there was a lot of development, sort of, hes- I guess, hesitation around developing or focusing on just that 5 to 8% of the users because they're the competitive or they're the racing side and it's only such a small percent. But then looking at numbers they've said about workout mode, wasn't it 30 or 40% of people using workout mode? And we haven't actually seen any development in workout mode recently. So... It also comes back to the whole, the pro cycling, the entire industry, the entire marketing from start to finish, even at Eurobike, as you saw last year, it's all about the pros. It's all about the professional and they are less than 1%. They are 0.00%. So that's where everything is. So I think that the racing for me and why I got into bike racing, even well before Zwift, it's the showcase of the elite and the dream and the emotion, everything built around that. So I think we still need to really focus on that, even just as a marketing tool. If you build it for the races, everyone else will come along as well for the ride. And even if it's just for the ride, everyone comes along with better features like steering or um, let's let's go through my whole list, um, yeah, steering or crosswinds or weather and things like that. People will just enjoy that coming for the ride as they do in the real world. So yeah, numbers wise, yeah, it's really hard to tell. But uh, I tell you what, the events aren't short of people though. They're looking really good recently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to give you this week's good point award there, Shane. Actually, that is a very, no, 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 that is a good point actually. <laughs> that that if, you, if you do build Thank things you. for racers, it it attracts all cyclists. I mean, you know, even the humble little podcast is is an example of that. You know, uh, I did an, an episode that was uh, very, very, very pro rider focused, and and to be honest, I didn't think it would go down that well. It actually turned out. I think it's certainly in the, well. The last time I looked, it was the most downloaded episode, um, and 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 I think it'll probably stay in the top three for this for this winter. Um, and and actually, it was you know it was solely focused on pro riders. So you know, Zwifters do love their pro riders, and 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 like you say, um, if you build it for races and, and pros, it's a it's a fantastic marketing technique. It, it clearly clearly works. Um, Nathan, I mean, one thing that kind of slipped out, but I think is absolutely huge, is um, running workout mode as an event. So all riders in the workout event will ride together doing the same workout and could be led by a coach. Add in voice to that, and that's huge. I mean, that is absolutely massive. That's basically taking on Peloton, taking on spin classes. I mean, a whole new dimension to Zwift, don't you think? Yeah, it's it's great. I can't wait for it. Uh, we... I've already used Zwift for this. There's coaches already using Zwift for this, and it's going to open up a whole new user experience and a whole new experience for live streaming. Actually, it's going to uh, it's going to be absolutely awesome. I think um, as far as that goes, because everybody will be able to jump into a workout with somebody who's designed something for them and ride along with them and be coached through it with them and have everything right there on the screen as far as what they're supposed to be doing. I think the communication of what you are uh, supposed to be doing with a coach when you're all alone out there with your Garmin and the set of the intervals and whatever it's supposed to is, and you have a question and then you have to get on your phone and da, 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 what is there going on? And, and I have to read through the workout when it's right there on the screen it's designed for you and they're talking to you live about it i mean that's a pretty amazing feature and tool and then you're riding with them 
too. Like, it's not just like seeing them on the screen talking at you. You're like actually seeing all the experience and pushing yourself with other individuals that you find that are about at your level in the workout with you. And so then you also have the challenge of others when you're in a spin class or a Peloton or whatever that is, or even what, whatever it might be on that other, you don't have any idea of what other people are doing for performance really. And so having that group performance in there will push people to another level in it too. I think the enjoyment is going to be great there. I wanted to go back though on the five to eight percent. I can't let you guys not let me get in on that <laughs> yeah. because the racing thing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Because no, no, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're what quite, do, quite right. Who's watching racing though? I know the numbers as far as what who's watching this stuff, and I know the performance of racing in the Zwift community as far as the viewership goes. I think is quite more than five to eight percent. Um, and what's going on with like how people are interacting with, they show up because they love sport and they love competition. And like Shane said, right on, man, like they, the, the, the idea is that they follow along for the dream and for the competition and, and just being able to see like, what are these guys able to do? And what are these guys? Able to do? And that's the conversation. Are they able to do this? Like, you know, and then that becomes a hot topic. And, you know, I think people show up for, you know, the aspiration of the competition. And so I think that is a, and that's why viewing on Zwift is a big deal. I think a lot of the people, I think John mentioned this, a lot of people uh, that are logged into Zwift, some of them aren't even watching. They're just viewing and they're, they're, they're seeing what they're trying to aspire to amongst other people. And then they go to a, a, a Zwift community live race broadcast or some other race broadcast. And they're like, what are these people aspiring to? And they just want to watch that. It's just like any other sport. And then everybody goes and plays it because they watched so-and-so do something awesome. And so, um, yeah, no, I, think, I, th- I mean, I, I think, I think that's true. If you looked at that GCN event that they ran, that Zwift ran recently, which was a, a race, you know, with the GCN boys in it. And, and I know GCN brings their own audience, but if you followed that, that, that comments trail on that, which, which I attempted to, it goes past about 280. 50 million miles an hour is very hard to read but 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 what what you did see on there was man what is this and then man this is fantastic you know and that was obviously a first time viewer watching virtual bike racing for the first time uh sorry to interrupt nathan but it's just just to emphasize that point that that it, it, it can also work as a spectator sport which then draws people into the experience perhaps yeah, definitely. That's exactly what I mean. Shane was gonna. I'm trying to get at is that the five to eight percent. If that's correct, I don't know if that even really matters because if Shane's correct, the one percent is what's driving things as far as this elite group of racing people out there that are this really small market that's actually racing this ten thousand dollar bike. That is what's driving a whole bunch of viewership and people to grow cycling in general. So that's how we're also going to be able to grow Zwift too, with that aspiration toward the competitive, I think. Oh, blimey, that was heated, boys. Good Yeah, but the thing is, it shows you, doesn't it, how excited that competition gets people. You know, human beings are competitive, generally, uh, and human beings on bicycles are generally even more competitive. So, you know, I think every, almost every Zwifter has got at least one competitive bone in their body, and, and many have several, and many are constructed entirely of competitive bones. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> what is the tag right now? The tag is cycling made social, and you could put in brackets competitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a subject we talk about a lot, and I'm sure, sure, we will return to. Listen, so um, on on that. Um, I'm going to be doing some features uh, in the coming weeks also with uh, Matty Heyman's coach, Kevin Poulton, and he's going to be doing a little a little coaching spot. And what's coming up next isn't that, uh, but soon it will be. But it's a, it's this is a really interesting piece about how you translate the fitness that you may have built up in Zwift over winter into race fitness or competitive fitness, perhaps, that you will take outside in summer and how you can just tweak uh, your Zwift fitness to get the best out of outdoor riding. Really interesting this. This is Alan Dempsey. Hi, Alan. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good, thank you. So let's set the scene a little bit and you tell us uh, a bit about you as a cyclist and a racer and a Zwifter. Yeah, so I started racing about five years ago. Um, I currently race as a Cat 1-2 for our Continental team here in Canada. 
Uh, I've been on, I started Zwift with the early beta Mac testing group and then kind of fell out of it when spring came and got back into it this winter and have pretty much done exclusively Zwift uh, this winter. Normally I do Trainer Road, but I actually almost stopped using Trainer Road completely and have switched pretty well completely to Zwift. Let's put ourselves in the position of somebody who's raced a fair amount in Swift over winter, but has never done a race in real life. What, what do you think the big things that people should look out for are? I think one of the things you see people often talk about in Zwift is um, that they are a C rider or a B rider and they go out and they do a Zwift race and they find that they're finishing 10 minutes behind the lead group. And that happens in real life just as much as it does in Zwift. Um, the primary difference I think that they should look out for is that it's much less like a time trial, which is what a Zwift race seems to be like, where it's just, you go hard out of the gate and you continue to ride hard for the entire half hour, hour, whatever it is, length of the race. There's a lot more sitting in and real life racing. I mean, the thing that's interesting about Zwift races is they are exactly as you described. They start crazy and then you are pretty much on or about threshold for the whole of the rest of the race. I mean, for people who've not raced outside, um, I mean, let's let's talk about a crit race. It's very often not like that, is it? I mean, it starts out like that. Like, I, I think that a, a Zwift race and a crit race start out exactly the same. It's it's full gas from the from the line. But I think the difference is, is that about five to ten minutes into a crit race, you're soft pedaling. And everyone's sort of cooled down, it relaxes a little bit, and then you get about a, probably about five minutes before major attacks start happening. Yeah, I, that, that's certainly been my experience as well. And we should let listeners know that also you're a, you're a coach, and, and you coach athletes, you coach cyclists and runners. Given that people are used to like this this session, which is essentially an hour at threshold, do you think that racing on Zwift equips people particularly well for racing in real life? Or do you think that um, the type of fitness that you develop in Zwift is, is, is not well suited to, to crit racing, say, in real life? I think that it doesn't it won't translate as well as people would think it would. I think if you were in a road race and you got into a breakaway, let's say where you had to spend a good hour or more riding at close to threshold or at high tempo, you might find that your Zwift fit, your Zwift race fitness translates well. But if you consider something like a crit where the effort really comes down to soft pedaling through the, the straights uh, breaking into a corner and then riding really hard out of the corner, that kind of effort you don't find in Zwift races. You don't have to constantly be accelerating, soft pedaling, accelerating, soft pedaling. So I don't think that people are going to be as prepared for the kinds of efforts that they'll find on the road as they would have found in Zwift. So speaking with your coach's hat on a little bit, if you wanted to more effectively translate your Zwift fitness into into crit race fitness, I'm thinking that perhaps the, the transition thing that you need to do is maybe practice um, some short sprint intervals. Would that would that be right? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. There's um, there's a workout that I do that specifically gets me prepared for crit uh, work and for crit races, and that's uh, 20 40 intervals where you go 20 seconds full gas and then just 40 seconds of either not pedaling at all or just soft pedaling. And you repeat that about six times, do about three um, sets of those. Uh, the other one that I like to do is a, a tempo interval. It's about 40 minutes of sort of low tempo, but every three minutes there's 30 seconds of zone six or anaerobic um, effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Do, do you think that people who have raced in Swift over winter but have not maybe practiced those 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 short hard efforts that you do need do you think they'd be in a better place in terms of kind of base fitness than somebody who's not raced in Zwift over winter I think people who have done Zwift racing over the winter time will definitely be in a better place once they get out onto the road um and and the thing about the thing about anaerobic building up your anaerobic system is that it comes relatively quickly so it's not something that you would have wanted to do a ton of over winter anyway. So for some people, I think, who have done Zwift races and have done a lot of threshold work 
and are probably equipped to ride at that sort of high um, intensity effort for a long time will very rapidly gain race-specific fitness just by racing. How do you feel about your fitness going into the race season now with with the Zwift winter under your belt? Do you do you feel confident? Do you think you're in a better place than you were maybe this time last year? Oh, absolutely. I think my for my power curve at all durations from one minute up to 60 minutes, I'm about 8 to 10% stronger than I was at this time last year. Zwift has certainly made it easier for me to, to not hate my training as much as I normally would where I'm just sitting there with a trainer road graph. So we should give you an opportunity, Alan, to um, to let people know about your online resources for your uh, for your coaching. Um, uh, here's an opportunity to talk to the Zwift community. So uh, where do we find you? The website is humanpowerperformance.com. There's tons of articles there. There's all kinds of training resources. There's some free Zwift training plans. Uh, Zwift workouts are there because the vast majority of people, let's face it, want to self-coach for at least a little while or you know forever. So I still try to make it a a place that people can go to do that. Yeah, and I've had a look at a couple of blog entries actually specifically about starting racing and there's some some really, really useful information there. So I'd urge people to have a look at it. Alan, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to talk to the Zwiftcast. Good luck in the upcoming season. (laughs) Thanks and thanks for having me on. Shane, super interesting. I mean, without going into like massive specifics, I think what Alan was saying was a tiny bit of tweaking will give you all the benefits that you've built up in Swift fitness, if there's such a thing, or winter, let's call it winter fitness. Um, interesting viewpoint. Yeah, for sure. I think he absolutely nails it in regard to the effort required on Swift. It's definitely more of a time trial effort. Um, and as the discussion there went, you sort of really need to apply the um, the skills and fitness and the, uh, what would you call it, the requirements of riding out in the road. If you can put those inside and make it more similar, such as the accelerations out of every corner and not drafting it, you're just the ups and downs and randomness. If you can add that a bit to your Zwift sessions, you'll get a lot more out of it when you're back out on the road. But yeah, totally agree with Alan there. Absolutely nails it. Nathan, did, did, did you agree with what he had to say, which is, you know, basically a little bit of um, a, a couple of very specific intervals can allow you to get the absolute best that you've got out of that fitness you've built up over winter? He's right on. He's right on that there's certain intervals you have to do to get the best peak powers out of them. You could build out a little bit more, and I think he would do that as a coach. I think he gave a couple of suggestions about some shorter things, but I think there's a lot more as a coach he would add to that on specifically focusing in on some peak powers. Right on! Shane, I'm assuming that when... Avatar customization arrives. You'll be first in the queue for a large, bushy hipster beard. <laughs> yeah. Look, you've got to have fun with it. Absolutely. I'll be riding around on the, uh, what was that bike that we had? The uh, the Buffalo bike with a disc wheel and a big beard. I think that's going to be my new hangout for sure. <laughs> Nathan, are you channeling the inner hipster dude or... <laughs> Oh man, I don't know. I don't know. I've I've always been really, really picky about my avatars. Like, I mean, like really um, spending way too much time at the beginning of the game, like making sure it looks the way I want it to look going through all the different. So, I mean, and I like a clean look. I do like a clean look. And so um, I want so much more than what I heard though, too, that I'm kind of like, I sure hope you're thinking about a lot more than what I just heard. Like, I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm just like, so anyways, yeah, but, I, mean, uh, I, I think there will be, it's on their radar. I just want to go back to that, that what you just described. I think that's so interesting. Um, prevarication. I mean, I'm sure as cyclists, you two are familiar with this. You know, when you, when you, when you're getting ready to go out for a ride, you know, I, do you prevaricate? I prevaricate terribly. I mean, I do have a routine, but particularly if I'm going out for a ride that I'm, I, I know is going to be particularly hard or, you know, maybe the weather's not great or, you know, whatever. The amount of prevarication that I do, I can delay a bike ride by oh, hours and hours and hours, all with entirely legitimate reasons. Um, you two, uh, you're probably a lot more motivated and focused than me. Do you prevaricate, Shane, before an outside ride? 
Uh, look, if I've got a goal in mind, such as the last five weeks in the lead up to Vegas, I could jump on the bike and go. And today I've done a video on a workout that I've been doing a lot of, and it's easy to do because it, it just motivated me. If I got on the bike right now with no goals and tried to do that work, it's not going to happen. I'll be, you know, oh, what socks will I wear? Oh, well, I'll have a coffee. Oh, hang on. What's on Facebook? Oh, hang on. We've got to record a Zwiftcast. And to be honest, right now, 5.05 in the afternoon, I've got a two-hour ride to do. Oh, I'll get to it today sometime. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in that boat for sure. Nathan, you probably – I mean, I know you're so time-crunched. You probably just cannot afford the time to prevaricate. All your prevarication is digital prevarication, is it? I ain't nobody got time for that. You guys all – if you know the <laughs> me, ain't nobody got time for that in my life. You just a big old picture of that meme right in front of everybody is half of my life is wondering where things are in my household and who took them <laughs> and who put them where. And so most of that uh, hold up that, you know, that procrastination and all that is mainly uh, me searching for things that are missing in my house to get going. Um, I do like to match my socks if I go outside, but if you know, mainly indoor rides at this point and you know, um, anyways, the only thing is making sure the Jersey and the socks match, I guess. Otherwise beyond that, I'm out the door. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to look up prevaricate. I use prevaricate, but as you correctly observed, Nathan, I think the more, uh, accurate word is procrastinate. I've actually forgotten what prevaricate means. I'm going to have to look that one up and see uh, whether I was right in the first place. But I think we 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 all know the process that we were we were describing there. Excellent. Well, uh, I've enjoyed this one, boys, despite the fact that we are separated by many, many, many miles um, and several time zones. But uh, uh, no less enjoyable for that. Thank you very much indeed for your contributions. Great to catch up again. And uh, thank you very much. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers, boys. See you soon. That's it for this episode, podcast fans. Thank you very much for listening. It just remains for me, as usual, to thank Swift and to remind you that, as John Mayfield so memorably said, Swift support the podcast, but they don't place tape over our mouths.